And we're back. Uh, Jeff Schlemmer, Bob Metz with us in the studio today. Uh, welcome, gentlemen. Hello. Morning, Jim. Well, you want to tell me what you got there? That's kind of cool, isn't it? It really is. Uh, uh, Jim just gave me a little booklet about uh, a car, 1925, I guess, eh? Yeah, yeah. Called the Metz. <laughs> 1925 Metz. It was, yeah. a, it was a proud, uh, proud and noble name in those days. Yeah. And uh, as you'll see in there, there's some very interesting stuff in there. But I came across that at an auto show, and I just thought you might enjoy that. It's interesting. I had a friend just come back from England, and he brought me a bottle opener with Mets on it. Apparently, there's a beer over there called <laughs> Mets, too. So. Well, don't be drinking and driving. No. No, no. <laughs> uh, I want to ask you fellas about an issue that has some, uh, a lot of people, not a lot of people, has a certain segment of our population quite, quite concerned. Not everyone, but it's something that set me thinking, and I, I believe I have an answer to it. But I'm just curious to get your answer. The uh, Canada now has the ability to award its own Victoria Cross, which traditionally was the British Commonwealth's, uh, British Empire's highest award for valor. Um, and traditionally, it was rewarded only to people who had exhibited, and I have to say this in a sense, publicly exhibited uh, feats of valor. Most of the recipients of Victoria Cross did what they did in plain view of lots of other people, and that's one of the reasons why um, they might be awarded this medal. Um, there are some exceptions to that. There is still some controversy about Billy Bishop's uh, VC, although I don't share in the in the naysayers. But there is some controversy about that because the, his feet, the feet that led to his VC, he was the World War One ace. The feet that led to his VC has been challenged by some historians. But but generally speaking, you do something uh, that's just above and beyond, way above and beyond, uh, and people see you do it, and that's generally what qualifies you for the VC. Now at the um, the uh, Monument to the Unknown Soldier, Canadian Unknown Soldier. The suggestion has been made that now Canada is able to award its own Victoria Cross, that a Victoria Cross should be awarded to the Unknown Soldier. People on one side think that this is a fitting tribute to all the people who've, uh, who've fought and, and risked their lives and so on for us. And uh, other people, many military people, say, no, the Victoria Cross has a specific purpose. It is awarded to a specific person for a specific action. And to make it sort of a general pat on the back for everybody takes away from that very special nature of it. And I'm just wondering if either of you guys have any thoughts on which side you might be on. And uh, Jeff, I'll ask you first. Well, um, I guess my first question is whether we still get to mint them from the uh, cannons captured in the Crimean War, the Russian cannons. I don't know if we do that or not, if the Canadian ones are or not. Yeah, That's a very good so. question. I yeah. hope so. But, uh, and coincidentally, I'm reading a book right now about uh, Canadians in World War One, the last year of the war, and there, there were a number of VCs awarded because uh, the Canadians did pretty well in the last year. Uh, and uh, I guess, to me, on issues like those kinds of things, I would, I'm inclined to defer to the people who have... Who are closest to it? Who have lived it? And uh, I can't remember if it was Jack Rennetstein or uh, one, one or um, Cliff Chatterton, one of them anyway. One of the guys who I know is always there mm -hmm. on those kinds of issues said he didn't like the idea. And so, come my first impression was, well, if he doesn't like it, he, he probably is uh, uh, knows a lot of the inside stuff about uh, how soldiers would feel about it. And uh, I would be inclined to defer to him about that. Uh, I can see the arguments both ways, but it is true that the uh, stories that I've read about men who were awarded uh, the VC, and I don't know if uh, any woman has. I won. don't believe 
so. I don't think so. Yeah, but uh, anyway, in this case, they're recounting stories of how they won them, and uh, they were heroic feats uh, that needed to be recognized, and this is the highest award. There's lots of other awards, um, but this is the pinnacle, and uh, I suppose one could argue that it's uh, it's devalued a little bit if it's given to somebody who we don't know if they did anything or not. We can assume that some missing uh, soldiers who were never found did some heroic things, and that's in some cases probably why they were never found. They got blown up or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, but you know we don't know, and I suppose uh, if the if the majority of soldiers feel that they want to keep this as a, as a pristine pinnacle of heroism, then we should honor that. Bob, what do you think? Um, I don't know the specific history of every person who was awarded a Victoria Cross, but given your scenario and what you said earlier, I think I would side with the people who say it should be remain for that kind of thing, like that public exhibition of heroism in front of people kind of thing. I'm reminded of um, when we started getting you know soldiers coming back from... Afghanistan and everybody wanted to fly half half mass flags for each one when that wasn't really the custom for that kind of thing, and I uh, it just smacks of me that it's just like I know this is almost an inappropriate sphere in which to discuss this, but again you're trying to spread a distinctive thing over a broader base. When if there is something to be said for the unknown soldier, maybe it could have its own mm-hmm. uh, system of recognition of some sort. But you certainly don't always have to steal the other guys or the other award that already has a track record. In so doing, you destroy its history. You destroy its significance. And it's not about the sacrifice given by the certain person. We're talking about the symbol here, what mm-hmm. that symbol represents. And uh, I think that... There is a movement, you know, just in a broad sense, not just with this, but just to to water down all those distinctions in a it's almost an egalitarian mindset. You know? well, that's also also always a danger too. Is that there have been some wars where where medals have been handed out willy nilly uh, to everybody in sight, or handed out politically, very politically. They're called. Uh, um, Oh, uh, President Johnson getting a uh, a medal uh, because uh, during the war World War II he was a congressman and uh, he had a, a plane that he was flying uh, detour slightly so it went into a war zone yes. and then back out again yeah. so he could get a medal yeah. and uh, I could understand um, your average soldier saying you know there is a risk of of debasing these medals by uh, that kind of thing and anything that tends to that you know we would not want to do. What do you think about this as a compromise? between the two sides, not your sides necessarily, but the two sides. And I've thought about this for a long time because this is an issue that's important to me. And I wonder if what we shouldn't perhaps do is rather than, in a sense, award the medal to the unknown soldier on behalf of all the soldiers, if perhaps we could not do some type of ceremony and put on display the Victoria Cross for all the Victoria Cross winners or or all the people who might have qualified uh, had they not been by themselves, had there been had there been an audience instead of they were did some brave and heroic feat on their own, um, saved their comrades, but then their comrades were lost anyway, and nobody to report it. It seems to me that that might satisfy the idea that we want to we want to say thank you to all the people who exhibited incredible acts of bravery on the battlefield, but at the same time we're not saying this is for every soldier who didn't come home. This is in honor of the soldiers that we can't identify who had we been able to identify them and their and their uh and their efforts would have been worthy of this medal. Do you think that is a, a reasonable compromise? Would that satisfy anybody on either side? I, I don't know who would be the quote recipient in, in an official sense. We already do a bit of that with 
things like Remembrance Day and and broader, uh, you know, ceremonies of remembrance that we have year-round, in fact, not just in, and I think ceremonies almost substitute. I think you're, you're looking for a physical symbol of some sort. Oh, but, this is, but this is what uh, they propose uh, to do. Yeah. They propose to take this Canadian minted... Um, uh, uh, Whatever it is, if it were, I think it should be distinctive because um, even something Jeff said just clicked me. For example, someone wearing a Victoria Cross, if, if they're wearing it now, you know what yes. that person, what that represents. Yes. If they broaden the base of that and you've met someone wearing a Victoria Cross, he could be a hero or he could be just some guy in the... But I'm not suggesting you know, they broaden it at all. I'm no, no, no. I'm saying that one cross, one time for all the sure. unknown heroes, not the unknown soldiers, for the unknown heroes. They're all soldiers. Anybody who straps on a uniform and goes into battle, as far as I'm concerned, is a... Is a well, hero is an overworked word, but as somebody who's done something very, very noble and brave for their country. Yeah, but, but not, it, but not all of them are heroes in the yeah. sense of. Well, of, and that that strikes me. It's this question of you know if uh, what's it a, if a tree falls in a forest and there's no one there to hear hear it, does it make a sound? And I remember uh, when I was younger reading uh, war history that I've always enjoyed reading, uh, being a bit surprised that um, people who were taken prisoner were often regarded as. Um, honored that having been taken prisoner was a, was considered to be a good thing, and it was completely the opposite of the tradition in in the USSR, for instance. Whereas if you were taken prisoner, you were dead; uh, they didn't want you back. And though, as I read more, I came to realize that often the guys who were taken prisoner were the ones who had stretched the farthest, who had mm -hmm. gone the furthest behind enemy lines, were the ones who had gone into that last fighter plane attack against a, a anti-aircraft and been shot down. The ones who took the biggest risks were often the ones who end up, if they lived, in the prisoner camps. So we recognized that, recognized these guys were on the leading edge. Uh, and again, so it's it's virtually inevitable that a percentage of them would have been prisoners if they hadn't been blown up or, or lost. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it seems statistically inevitable that there are some unknown soldiers who did feats worthy of VCs if there had been a witness. And that I think it would be appropriate if there is a way to say we're not giving it to the unknown soldier generally, but we recognize that there were some of them who must have done things that would have merited a VC if it had been witnessed uh, and were targeting, targeting specifically that. But having said that, I would still defer to the Cliff Chattertons of the world. Yeah, I think it's hard for us to go wrong uh, doing that. The people who are intimately involved with the military and, and what they want to say, but and that was interesting. The thing about lowering the flags to half mast that the mm -hmm. military people were saying, "No, this is not how we do it." That was very much a civilian hoo ha and turned into political football. And um, Elizabeth May has announced that she is supportive of Green Party candidates in some writings. Uh, um, seeking the nomination for the Liberal Party in the federal election. People with green constituencies and who've been members of that party, she has uh, released them or whatever the phrase may be. And in fact, one in particular in British Columbia, she had encouraged to uh, to run for the Liberals. Um, two, two schools of thought on this. One is that that's a smart move on her part. If she's happy with Stefan Dion and she refers to his term as environmental minister as, uh, I, don't know, I forget the exact word, but Good. a, a magic time <laughs> or something, you know, that it was, it was wonderful. And, and, uh, and the, other, the uh, other people looking at it, Greens and otherwise, are looking at it and saying, well, this is lunacy. I mean, strategic voting, never mind strategic voting. Do you have a party or not? If you have a party, get out there and run for your party. State your, your party's policies and, and press on. Uh, Bob, what do you think of Elizabeth's uh, encouraging people to run for the Liberals? Anything to stop the Conservatives? Last thing in the world you'd want to hear a party leader say. Run for another party. 
Yeah, right. Okay, that, that just imploded the party right there. Uh, if anyone who has strong beliefs about anything runs for the Liberal Party, those beliefs are gone. You have to compromise with the party. You've got to take whatever that party stand is, and you will never know what it is because they always open it to vote. It's the most open... <laughs> All we you know, know is that it's what the majority of Canadians usually think because we poll and uh, do what they That's want. right, and that's why, the, <laughs> that's why liberals tax and spend. <laughs> and so, I mean, anything... green The green cause would be lost. Maybe in that sense I'd be going Ray, you know, get, get those people off of, of the political marketplace, make liberals out of them. But, uh, you know, I just can't believe a strategy like that. That's just uh, insane. I talked to somebody the other day who said, uh, I thought I had a rather novel idea. Well, it wasn't an idea, but a comment. And he said, but one of the big problems in this country is we have too many political parties. We, we, what we need to do is we need to absorb the NDP into the left wing of the liberals. We need to take the uh, the blue liberals and move them over with the Tories and, and, and create this sort of a balanced a balance between liberalism, and although the terms are rather loosely used in this context, but liberalism and conservatism. And he felt that the country would be the better for that. Everyone would still have their say. Everyone who has a position, a public position today in any of those parties would still probably be able to hold most of that public position, if not all of it, in these sort of realigned parties. Uh, and and it, it might give us a little more impetus. People might get a little more interested in politics if they had a sense that you know, somebody's got to win at least a simple majority in order to run the country instead of 35%, which I know from personal experience discourages a lot of people. And they say, well, you know, the, the, the country's set up that somebody, in some situations, 32, 33, 34% of the popular vote, and you're the leader. It doesn't make any sense. Um, Jeff, do you think if we could do that, and I can't imagine we could, would it be a good, bad, or indifferent? I think that ultimately it would not be good, and I'm reminded of the United States with Democrats and Republicans, um, but I also think that um, the Conservatives have, have actually come a long ways toward that with the Reform, Reform Party merging with the Conservative Party. Uh, it's really the left that is in disarray right now that where the balkanization is, and uh, it would be nice in a way if we could get our act together uh, in the way that the Conservatives have, but I think right now there, there isn't really, um, there, isn't th there isn't that uh, division in, on the right. Um, but I, I also was thinking about, uh, you know, the idea of uh, strategic voting and thinking, you know, we've seen a bunch of people crossing the floor lately in both directions. And in some respects, it, it seems to me that that's, in a way, that suggests that people aren't just aren't just being blind to a party. I, you know, my, my dad talked about how you were born into a party and uh, you're, that's the party you're, of your family and that was the party you were and it really didn't matter what they did. You were a loyal supporter of conservative or liberal or whatever it was for your whole life. And it reminds me, I can't remember who it was that said it. might have been Albert Einstein, something about how only a fool wouldn't change their mind when the facts change. And in some respects, when people are paying attention enough to think, well, maybe strategic voting or maybe a new party or maybe this, maybe that, at least they're thinking and, and considering, okay, well, I don't like the status quo. What are the options for changing it? And I think about the uh, government uh, of the... Um, Liberals and the NDP back in 1985 in Ontario. That that it was only by banding together that they were able to oust the Tories for the first time in like 38 mm -hmm. years or something, and that wasn't a bad thing. I, I don't think um, it meant though that it was uh, this co coalition that was tenuous, I suppose, in some ways. Um, but uh, you know, I, I don't see uh, I don't see strategic voting as a bad thing in and of itself. It's not disloyal. People should use their brains and decide. Every day when they wake up, what world am I facing and how can I best deal with it? Uh, and that's what's happening. How much do you think there is left of the old, uh, my father did it, I did it, and you'll do it too? Vote 
fill in the blank. Well, I hope it's declining, and, I, and I'm uh, reminded that today, literally today, my son is a student at South Secondary in his civics class for having an election, and he is the Green Party candidate, so he has to give a, a radio interview about uh, the Green Party and what they're all about and so on. <laughs> So it's quite uh, quite timely, and uh, my other son, who's who's uh, a bit older, likes the Green Party, and I say, well, good for you. It should be a party of youth. You know, I'm not going to try and drag you over to the Liberals. You should uh, look at everything and make up your own mind. Just, I'm just curious to know when you talk to them, because I'm sure you do. You're a politically aware family. What do they, what do they think the Green Party is? They think it's a left wing party. Uh, they think that it's principally about the environment. Um, is it a Kyoto party or is it a the clean up the Thames River party or or do they make that distinction? I don't know. I don't know. I have to admit, my son dragged me out last year to see uh, an inconvenient truth and uh, is quite concerned about the environment. But I, I don't really know that much about the nuance of this politics around the environment. Um, but we did go to the uh, Green Party website, uh, my younger son and I, to look up their platform and uh, on specifically on environment, good government, and uh, taxation and trade. And it appeared that the platform at least spoke to the kinds of things you'd expect of a left-wing party. Um, so that was his broad take on it. But again, I also think it's, uh, you know, that they see it as a bit of a, a new thing. It's a new brand, if you like. Every week for the last several, we've talked at least for a few minutes when Bob and Jeff were here about the possibilities of a federal election. We're going to pause for these messages, and we'll return and do that again right after this. Bob Metz, uh, Jeff Schlemmer with us in the studio today. And... Uh, Bob, you wanted to respond to that question. I was going to move on to something else, but you quite rightly uh, pointed out that yeah, I'm giving uh, you a chance to respond. You asked, are there too many parties? And, and I would say not in the, physic- in, in the literal sense, but in the sense that there aren't very many choices, really. All the parties we have are basically offering the same choice with small nuances as differences between them. But is that bad? Uh, may, may, you could make the case that that's because what the broad bulk of the people want. No, it's they, a good thing. They want uh, nuance. Um, but the point is... Uh, too many people think that's a threat. You're, you're, you know, we're like I've been accused so many times of stealing conservative votes and stuff like that, which is absolutely not true. It's Freedom Party, you're talking yeah, about, yes, right. It, it's if anything, it's the other way around. We've seen that. We've been analyzing our results. We've been running in by-elections steadily for for the last little while, and the stats tell us something very interesting: that even the small support we get is positive support. It's not throwaway votes as we had assumed in the past. Mm-hmm. But I don't think small parties, while they're small, are a particular electoral threat to the large parties until they reach some sort of critical mass, in which case they become the large party or the second. You saw that happen in Quebec just now. And so uh, electorally, I don't think it is the threat that people make it out to be. Uh, but certainly in the field of ideas, whether whether they be good or bad, that's where you see most of the experimentation, and the, and that's where the polarization and the, and the originality comes from, is from those parties that can still say what they think without having to appeal to a broad, broad, broad electorate that has so many differing points of view, you really don't want to say anything in front of them, lest well, you lose their vote. Yeah, and that so, occurs to me in uh, some of the some of the things that are coming out now about uh, operation of the federal government, where uh, there there are you know the Mounty scandal and and whatever, uh, with, and and actually the provincial one with the lottery scandal, where it's in some respects hard for the opposition to ask the hard questions because they themselves were governing just before that and they're implicated in it. You know, they're not mm-hmm. at arm's length that they can come in and ask the hard questions because it will embarrass them. So they're not in a good position to be the watchdogs. If, it, if there weren't other parties to raise those questions in the House, they wouldn't get asked. Exactly. And so I see it as a positive thing. Um, I can tell you from a regulatory point of view, 
um, the the agency that regulates elections, both pr- provincially and federally, uh, whether it's Elections Canada or Elections Ontario, they are manned by the three major parties, and their number one goal is to keep any other party out. You wouldn't believe what they do to the smaller parties to just make it hard for them to mm-hmm. operate. You've, they just stick it to you. It's not easy. And um, the regulations, you know, even if you're a party that has a smaller income than your kid sister, you've still got to file all the same papers that a party that has millions and millions of dollars has to file. You have to go through the same processes. Uh, I have to file more reports telling the government what I'm not doing rather than what I am doing. So what do they want you not to do? Um, if I didn't participate in a leadership thing, if I didn't participate in a by-election, which used to be, you have to fill out all these reports, and they can deregister you for not telling them what you didn't do, <laughs> right? And that's how most of it works. That's that's most of it. And if I, whenever I have to fill out a not-done report, I have to get a commissioner's of oaths to sign it, which means i got to go all over town and get some guy who doesn't know me mm-hmm. to sign that he knows me. But if I were reporting thousands and thousands of dollars, I wouldn't need any outside body. I can just sign it myself. Send it in. The regulations are absurd, and and to me, I can see that from the inside what is being done to make it difficult for political parties. So, uh, don't think that's quite a free ride. Independent candidates, they just don't have a chance. In well, our what system. about the argument that and the electoral system may change too in Ontario? This coming up because they're they're now talking about uh, you know not a first past the post system anymore. What about the argument that um, we would be better served if people like yourself, for example. Um, who, with the greatest of respect, has not yet managed to uh, uh, build a huge support base, um, but obviously has some very strongly held opinions, that that the body politic might be better served if if you were within one of the larger parties and making yourself heard within that party. I'm glad you asked that because I participated in all sorts of cooperations with all kinds of parties, including Harris's Conservatives. I went to the Unite the Right conference, and the first thing I learned was that anything I have to say, if I joined any party like the Conservatives or any Unite the Right, I would not be able to say anything. You told the line. That's the purpose of, of a group getting together. Here's our platform. Here's our five or six ideas. Can you agree with those? Shut up about everything else. <laughs> and that's how it works. And therefore, everything else basically falls by the wayside. I could never operate. Well, you know, when I went to the Unite the Right conference, and, and you know, I heard Michael Corrin going on about uh, you know his anti-gay bashing and all this stuff. I can't be part of that. And then on the other side, you got all these social conservatives that want to bash religion down everybody's throat. I couldn't be part of that. And I said so there. I was the guy that got the headline in the Toronto Star, and they were all upset. Mm-hmm. But you just put a bunch of right-wingers together. Jeff, you're not, that's not true. They are not united. What Stephen Harper has done is told them all to shut up <laughs> and, and put a, a bag over their heads and told them exactly what I'm, what I'm telling you. Now. But isn't they, that they, but isn't good that for the, him as a party? Role, isn't that the role of every effective leader? Because yes. there's wingnuts from the yes, left to yes, the right. Yes, yes, And Paul McKeever does it too. Well, yeah, every, every but that's leader why we have to, to limit what your platform is in one sense okay we only have six basic issues for us mm-hmm. and there are the big issues healthcare education that kind of stuff but um there are so many nuance issues everybody you know some people vote over silly things like like the green issue to me is is an absurd one i mean that's not even a real issue mm-hmm. i just don't even share anybody's but panic about the, the environment system is it yes you do have to if you want to govern you've got to uh Welsh uh, dissent and and speak with a unified voice and that's fine and that's an important part of our system but it, I would argue that we have to channel dissent through the proper 
channels, Which not quelch it. Well, effectively, it never reaches the public. Um, but uh, on the other hand, you need to have a loyal opposition, a vigorous, vigorous opposition. And as I say, if, if you have one opposition party, they're severely hobbled. Uh, the Democrats in the United States are severely hobbled on Iraq right now because initially they were all for it. But shouldn't, you, shouldn't there be room within the party to have that dissent within the party itself? Well, you do. We, you know, we have conventions and go off and uh, argue and uh, resolutions and so on. There's a difference between the party's policy and the government's policy. Uh, so there's lots of talk, but again, it's considered that you've got to keep it behind closed doors. And for someone like me, that's very hard to do. You know, <laughs> there might be some room for even that. If I, if I could find another party that was even walking in the same direction I am, right? Even baby steps. Mm-hmm. I might think about it, but they aren't. They're mm-hmm. all walking. Maybe baby steps, maybe large steps, but they're going the opposite direction from where I'm going. Mm-hmm. So for me to join them, I'm on the wrong train. I'm going the wrong way, right? So I can't do that, and I can't in good conscience vote for the policies I see a lot of the parties do because I understand their destructive nature, whether the public does or not. You know, I'm, 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 my, my ancestry is German. You know, I used to wonder, am I from an insane race after what happened in World War II? <laughs> and you wonder... Uh, how can an industrialized, um, highly cultured, highly cultured, high you know, um, civilization collapse into such in, a frenzy of insanity? And I've read a lot about that era, and I read a lot from their own people. If you ever want to read uh, *Mass Psychology of Fascism* by Willem Reich, it's worth a read because it's happening big time here. Mm-hmm. And I can see the same same things, the same trends. Not, you know, it's not the history repeats it, but it does rhyme, as as that <laughs> say, saying says. And we're going. I think my grandson and my kids are going to have a tough time, and some serious tough times. Uh, um, we're talking. My parents, you know, I don't. They had to go through World War II. They were taken over by the Russians, by the Germans, by the Americans, by all sorts of groups, right? And uh, all of them were screaming, screaming freedom and all, we'll free you from this and we'll free you from that. Of course, none of them meant it. Well, to me, the healthiest part is when governments change every so often. And I, I think term limits are actually not a bad idea because there's no person who is the only person who can run a country. And I think that's how you prevent fascism. Don't dictators. tell that to Fidel Castro. Gentlemen, the band's <laughs> playing in the background. <laughs> Thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer with us today. And they'll be back next week for what will be, as I mentioned earlier, our final edition of Left, Right, and Center. Last week, our final week of broadcasting. Uh, on the radio after 15 years. But folks, we're going out with a smile, not a frown, so we hope you'll join us. If you've enjoyed this presentation, visit justrightmedia.org for more programming that's not right-wing, it's just right.